Just before the Civil War, a grassroots youth movement rose up against slavery. Smithsonian curator John Grinspan tells the riveting, inspiring, and often overlooked story in his new book, Wide Awake, the forgotten force that elected Lincoln and spurred the Civil War. Published by Bloomsbury. Find this perfect Father's Day gift wherever you buy books or tap to learn more. Oh my God, this movie just eats other movies for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott yellow and from music video sins barrett share hi everybody and we're going to continue our march madness today yes. let the games begin do you believe in miracles yes battle royale the crowd is just on its feet here He's a Cinderella boy. Uh. You're excited. Feel these nipples. It's madness. It's madness. That's <laughs> the March madness. Um, now that we're in March. Yeah, now that we're in March. Um, so we're now moving to the East region here, and we'll start with the 1 and 16, which is Children of Men. Versus one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> oh, we can do this one pretty quick. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, obviously, Children of Men is one of those movies that I, is it still like underrated? Yep. Maybe. Yep. And we have it in our number as our number one seed in mm-hmm. this. Um, I don't. Yeah, don't hear very many people bring this movie up Mm-mm. a lot, and it's stunning. Yeah, it's just stunning. It came on the other day. I had to, you know, I had to sit there and watch it. It's just that type of movie. Well, I mean, maybe it's because it is so tense and it is so dark that it may be a little bit hard to watch. But it's worth every second that you pour into it. I would have thought that after Gravity, this would have gotten a retrospective kind of bump mm-hmm. uh, because Alfonso Cuarón is regarded as, I guess, one of the the top. Not even like an up and comer. I mean, he's no, there. he's definitely he's, there. You know. He's established. And uh, but uh, this is this is his best work. Yeah, right. Arguably, yeah. I think you could say that. I I, I think I even said when we discussed it before. I think I, if I had to pick one movie that's the best movie made since two thousand, it'd probably be this one. Yeah, um, it has a little bit of everything. Um, the the issues that the movie wants to talk about are as relevant as ever in my mm. opinion mm-hmm. the the near future setting of this film um i think insulates it from aging poorly as we move forward because um he's created a, a whole world here um the look the feel the music adds to it that i just fucking love this movie and i think it might be my favorite michael Caine performance of all time yeah oh yeah there's something about that lovable old pot smoker <laughs> who wants people to pull his finger <laughs> Uh, and the heartbreaking way he goes about helping his wife die, basically, when he realizes the jig is up. Um, just I can't say enough good things about it. it it's got all those amazing one shots. Um, it's just fantastic. Yeah. the For me, it's always been three really intense action scenes that he he builds on these and, and one comes out of nowhere. Yeah. 
Yes. And uh, and because they're just sitting there like playing games or something in the car or whatever, <laughs> and then and suddenly it's it's on. Yeah. And uh, and and the I like I like sci-fi that talks about like stuff. It's not it's not really about like futuristic gadgetry and like oh, yeah. flying out in the space or anything like that you know this is a world where women aren't having children anymore mm-hmm. and and it's just a it's just a, right off the bat that gets you hooked into this dystopia mm-hmm. you know um I, and and i can't think of a better person than clive owen to take us through this and yeah. everything he's perfectly cast in this yeah and he's not the suave debonair clive owen that you know from closer from you know the other stuff that he's done Mm -hmm. he's he's a loser yeah (laughs) he's kind of a loser i mean he's he's drinking a whiskey in his coffee in the morning he's going to a government job that he hates (laughs) and he's basically just a schlub yeah uh good looking schlub but he's still a schlub yeah i love i love when he's on the bus with julianne moore and they're having that like basically they were a couple and they did you know they fought and all that and all this and uh and they and she gets up to she gets up and walks off the bus is oh yeah sure just walk away like you always do and everything and she's like it's our stop you know <laughs> <laughs> um uh so yeah there's like unexpected laughs and something that's so dour you know as far as you know people not having kids anymore and stuff mm-hmm. like that but um but yeah i mean that every time this movie comes up i have to think of the three action scenes and they're just incredible and it's just the way they're done it's yeah. it's so visceral because you feel like every gunshot can be lethal in mm-hmm. this it's not just pop caps like you see dents in the door if you if if there's a gun fired and you see you know the real world ramification you see people you know shot in the neck and stuff like that and it's not just the blood and the gore and things like that you just see like real consequences it's not pew 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 yeah yeah <laughs> like lego batman (laughs) um so i i think we can like you said we can get done with this one pretty quickly here so children of men versus one flew over the cuckoo's nest we talked about that one uh last uh, last podcast i'm definitely going children of men here Mm -hmm. um uh just for a movie that just left me breathless after the first time i watched it and i couldn't stop talking about it and it was a little disappointing to see that you know it wasn't doing anything at the box office and everything but uh, i think it's found some of an audience but uh, like we said before i don't know if there's a lot of people talking about it not that i run into anyway yeah. but um yeah, it's winning here yep yeah and it's uh it's definitely winning because i'm gonna vote children of men yeah and uh there's nothing you can do to stop me no one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is a great movie. Watch it, but uh, also watch Children of Men, <laughs> yeah. which is going to win unanimously. And right. the cuckoos get on the bus to go back home. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if there was a college basketball team called the Cuckoos. The Cuckoos. I bet there is. Yeah. <laughs> We're the Cuckoos! Uh, it's probably an Australian football yeah, team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That probably racist. is. Probably is. <laughs> um okay uh, our number two seed is city of god versus our 15 seed the sixth sense yeah wow um i think anybody who's heard me talk knows where i'm gonna go with this but let's talk about these two movies mm-hmm. um city of god is one of those movies that uh just i i did not expect it at all when <laughs> i watched it 
Um, I remember this was uh, Hollywood 27. We got this before like it had any major release. In fact, I think it took months for it to have a major release. This was like a critical screening of some sort that we got. And, uh, and I remember a friend of mine, uh, who worked there, uh, who always is just in the know on all the movies and everything. He's like, we got to watch this, man. This has got some good buzz. I was like, hey, okay. And you start watching it and you're like, what the fuck movie is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, what? I mean, come on. And then <laughs> that's like last for two minutes because, <laughs> <laughs> because, because then it gets into the sprawling Godfather esque <laughs> Rio slum, you know, epic movie. And, uh, and I just, I, it just, Oh my God, this movie just eats other movies for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I love the number of times that he, the narrator says, but it is not time to tell his story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dropping all these teases on me. Uh, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, it's violent. Uh, the performances are all great. And to my knowledge, the vast majority of them were just regular Brazilians yeah. that were hired. To, I don't think any of them are like brazil's george clooney or anything no um and that authenticity comes through i think yeah i thought I, and now i think uh was that you had alice braga would go on to be the biggest actress mm. out of, or actor out of this whole movie and one of the guys in this ends up being like the guy who does all the musical interludes in the life aquatic with steve zissou Oh, wow. I believe he's one of the guys. Oh, really? He, I think he ends up being like one of those. Well, like, the guy who played Knockout Ned did something too. It right? might be the Knockout Ned character, oh, yeah. actually, uh, which is you know another great thing too. Yeah. Like they, this guy who's just unbelievably handsome, they call him <laughs> Knockout Ned. Uh, the, those characters are great, and just even stuff like that. I don't even really understand, like Lil Zay and yeah. all that. Um, uh, but. You know, I, I I think I officially knew I was going to love this movie when, you know, Will Zay goes and does, you know, blows away all those people in the hotel or yeah. the apartments or whatever. It's you knew you're in a for sort of a different kind of movie at that point. And he is smiling the yes. whole time. Man. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and for City of God, it always goes back to me that you know, the, when he's grown up too, and he's got, he's going after knockout Ned and, and knockout Ned has that, you know, like, why didn't he kill me? Yeah. And, then, and the guy, and the guy goes, why didn't I kill that guy? <laughs> you know? Um, it's yeah. Unexpectedly funny in places. And, and, uh, and, uh, just, um, you know, if you like gangster crime, yeah. you know, and, and just, and then like an underbelly of just like, Oh, I didn't know this was a problem in Rio. Yeah, right. Everything that we know of Rio is American, you know, rose-colored glasses type yeah. stuff. Look at how beautiful this is. <laughs> Here's the big Jesus. Yeah. You know, like- <laughs> the big Jesus. <laughs> at the gift shop, they sell shirts that call the statue that. The oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I agree. There's a little Tarantino in there. There's a little mm-hmm. Guy Ritchie in there. There's a little Godfather in there. It's. I would call this an epic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, it's fan freaking tastic, and I'm I'm still kicking myself for having waited so long to watch it. <laughs> the whole thing hinges on this party with Benny, mm-hmm. uh, where he basically says, "I'm going to get out. Yeah, I'm going to go live my life. I'm playboy. I'm a playboy." Right, and you know, everybody as different as they are and as scurrilous and and just they're fighting all the time. They come together for this one party, and they're going to keep the peace, basically. 
and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Uh, just because of this this one little kid, basically. Yeah. Um, but Benny's character is really the soul of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And you can see when everybody is just crushed. And that was the last remaining thing. And then it's just all out yeah. chaos from there yeah. on. Yep. Uh, but man, when you can have a character like that, because he starts out as dangerous as Lil Zay. Yes, he does. And you expect like they're just going to be, you know, this Bonnie and Clyde type of thing all the way through. And once he starts kind of, you know, meeting girls and, and that kind of thing and wanting to get out, like, you're like, oh, this could be kind of a different kind of animal. And then it does become just a completely different movie. It's glorious. They yeah. do they do that well because I, cause I really actually want to be Benny in this, yes. you know, because he's so cool yeah. in this. It's like, oh, my God, why, I will never be that cool. <laughs> and this guy's embodiment of it, you know, he's got everything that you would want, you know, the hot girls and just the cool demeanor. Yeah. Um, I also like our main character, too. He's like a photographer and everything thing he's mm-hmm. taking all these real like nobody else in the world can possibly take these pictures yeah. type of thing of the gang violence going on there's a great little sweet scene too where the the woman at the newspaper takes him home and goes he goes i had never had sex before but i'm not going to talk to you about this sexual experience or whatever i'm gonna <laughs> we're gonna move on to the next thing or whatever it's none of your business you know <laughs> um it's just uh, yeah this movie is just fantastic yeah it is so then it's going up against the sixth sense. No mm-hmm. slouch. Mm-hmm. A masterpiece almost. Yes, it is. And M. Night Shyamalan uh is now is <laughs> he's a punchline turning back into a serious yeah. uh force again because of the split movie. Yeah. And uh and even even stuff like uh this the last one he came out with, the um The Visit. The Visit. Uh, was sort of the stepping stone to that because the people kind of like the visit yeah. too but the split was officially like uh, you know sort of brought his name back but back then back in 1999 it, you know this was a stunning quote-unquote debut he had done another movie before this wide awake it might have been wide awake rosie o'donnell's in it yeah it might have been that movie something about a nun but uh it was one of those guys i he's announced his presence uh and uh and he would go on to do unbreakable which we all agree is a great movie mm-hmm. in here uh and signs for a lot of people is a great movie I, i'm i'm half and half on mm-hmm. that one I, I i swear in different companies i've said yeah that's a good movie or <laughs> no that's not a very good movie um but uh but uh we weren't I mean, we we had been primed for surprises all through the 90s. We talked about a few. The Shawshank Redemption, Seven, Usual Suspects, all have these surprises. Yeah. And we were sort of getting primed for that. But The Sixth Sense is is one of the biggest doozies yeah. that we've ever run into. Uh, if it wasn't for spoiled, spoiled for me and Jeremy. Yeah, we were both spoiled. <laughs> yeah, um, but it works because the movie doesn't even hint that there's something coming. Mm-hmm. right like yeah. with the usual suspects the whole movie is like who's kaiser soze yep. uh, but this doesn't have any of that it's almost it almost lulls you into a full sense of security and then it decks you with that hook because it is a compelling ghost story anyway yeah and the marketing of course was focused on, on the whole i see dead people yeah and man you don't get any creepier than that when you see that first in the trailer where Haley joel osmond is just sitting in that bed and like i see yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, all right. And that could be enough. Yeah. That could be enough. And and but then you have this whammy at the end and you're like, oh man, it forces you to rethink the entirety of what you just saw. Well, and that's the thing. They if if that was 
done in a slipshod manner, then we wouldn't be talking about this movie mm-hmm. today. Um, it's expected that Bruce Willis, who's the above the line main star of this movie, is alive mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing. It's expected for that. You don't think he's dead. There's no reason for you to think that. Yeah, but then yeah i just wish i had had my own uh without spoil yeah. and whatever to see what because those scenes with him those scenes with him interacting with tony collette and all this other stuff are very odd yeah um and you know that later on when you want after you know the surprise and everything i mean at least it's way i think you i mean i think it takes the second viewing for you to realize that but um but they do it in such a great way. His his interactions with Olivia Williams and everything seem just like, okay, it's a couple that used to be happy, and then the, the gunshot happened, and then things started going downhill. It's just mm-hmm. the way it feels. If he'd done anything there that was a little slipshod, you know, it wouldn't have been nearly as impactful. Yeah. Uh, particularly when she's watching the wedding video. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just uh, heartbreaking, because I, I was virginized when I saw this, and I actually didn't know the spoiler going into it. And... That's where my mind immediately went back to because they're they're strangers in the night. They're just passing, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're connected to that. They're both watching how they used to be. Yeah. And as soon as I, I found out the twist, I was like, oh, that yeah. scene, that was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, The Sixth Sense, it has a really tough matchup here. Mm-hmm. Uh, going up against this movie, which is odd. The Sixth Sense is a way by far more popular movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but City of God is is possible, probably way better than this movie. Yeah. Uh, but what is our uh, what is our voting? All right. I'll go first this time. It's going to be City of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. We could almost do a City of God, City of God, City of God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think like. so. I mean, is there really, there's probably no uh, drama to this at all. I mean, you know. I'm no, gonna... probably not. What The way that I think Chris and I went into this, and maybe Jeremy, well, no, because we had talked about it before you watched it, is to not know much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though I had heard a little bit about it, it it's got one of the most misleading posters of all time because it's them sitting on the beach mm-hmm. and you think oh brazil sitting on the beach it's a love story that kind of thing and it's so it blows your mind when you don't know what you're going to expect i'm not even sure the title's quite good yeah for what yeah. the movie is cuz i i had filed this under indie film about missionaries that is getting decent buzz when mm. I, when it was first kind of being talked about and reviewed because mm-hmm. i thought what city of god yeah. we're in some third world looking area yeah um you know it, 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 there's nothing about the marketing of the movie that shows you what it really is yeah. maybe that was intentional maybe they wanted to surprise you and and lull you in with the maybe, it should have been called big jesus yeah it should have been big jesus big jesus uh, i'm telling you there's a band out there right now that's like we just found our band. Yeah, <laughs> big Jesus. I mean, uh, the I mean, you know, maybe in Portuguese it's way better. You know, the Ciudad de Deus or whatever. <laughs> you know, um, whatever. But uh, what was the order again? Just so that we can all I say started City of God. You and then yeah. Me. So it's City of God for me as well. And that's nothing against the Sixth Sense. I mean, the Sixth Sense. If it had, I mean, if we somehow found a way to make this a higher seed. It might have had a chance to get through a few of mm-hmm. these rounds, but uh, to go up against something like this, it's not going to happen. Tough draw, man. Tough yeah. draw. City of God all yeah. the way. Whoosh. Yeah. Swish. <laughs> Nothing but net. And that's the game. <laughs> Nothing further, your honor. <laughs> um. 
All right, so here's our three seed versus our 14 seed. Three seed is almost famous. Oh. Versus the 14 seed, no country for old men. What the fuck? Yeah. Who seeded this shit? Yeah. I don't know. This is... Uh, what won 2007? Uh, there, there will, will be, be blood. blood? Mm-hmm. Was no country second? Um, A 14 seed? Did you vote for... Or, uh, no, no I voted Gone Baby Gone, I think. Yeah, so it wasn't even in the in contention. God damn, a 14 seed. Yeah. This movie's been playing like crazy on Showtime or Stars the last four or five days, and I've had it on every single day. Wow. <laughs> I love when he opens that case for the first time and sees all the money, and we cut to this wide shot, and he goes, yeah. <laughs> um god this is again we're this is the point right two completely incongruous movies but um where no country succeeds on i guess filmmaking almost famous succeeds emotionally mm-hmm. uh, in ways that few movies ever had yeah. um i I don't know how many movie characters I've actually fallen in love with, but Penny Lane is one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all due to Kate Hudson just either being that role or just doing a really good job in it. Well, she hasn't been like this since. No, not in anything. Like, I, it's the it's the most dumbfounding thing I have ever run across as far as... Because you watch Almost Famous and you're like, Kate Hudson is going to be one of our you know most beloved stars after this. Yeah. And yeah, she her her film choices, and I've talked about this before, I believe, uh, throughout the decade of the aughts, yeah, uh, were uh, on par with where Matthew McConaughey was, and they they were in some they were in two of the same movies yes, together, yeah. two of the same terrible movies. <laughs> yeah, they were both in uh, uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days and Fool's Gold, yeah. which were both horrible movies. But she was also in like Le Divorce and uh, the. Uh, Alex and Emma, mm-hmm. and uh, well, she did that bride fight movie with Anne Hathaway. If you need, yeah, to Bride Wars. <laughs> yeah, there you and go. Uh, I mean the the film choices that she made in that decade after Almost Famous were were just they were the worst. Um, and uh, but in this movie, you're right. Much like uh, Audrey Tattoo and Amelie, mm-hmm. I I actually really do care and fall in love with this girl, just like you know our our uh you know patrick fujik character does yeah. um who's of course way out of his depth yeah. in this uh you know it's sort of like uh, jason schwartzman and rushmore only <laughs> without the obsession the uh the, the, the dangerous obsession and everything it's but. weird yeah because she is playing a character i guess around her same she was about 20 or 21 mm-hmm. when she did this and i guess that was around the age that she penny lane was but she's got so much more experience. I mean, she's not that much older than he is, but mm-hmm. I mean, she's lived a lifetime more than he has at this point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. She's had sex with more people than he will. Well, and yeah, especially he's got the part at the end, towards the end where he, where she's uh, overdosed or whatever. And he's like, well, I'm about to go where many men have gone before. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that part when they, the, the rest of the Band-Aids sleep with him, though, and they're like, oh. deflower the oh. virgin. Well, you know what? That What sets that scene up so great is the camera just kind of happens upon Anna Paquin, yeah. and she's like, let's deflower the kid. <laughs> 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 hey, 
it's just like comes like it's like almost like let's go grocery shopping or something like that. It's just, let's just go ahead and deflower him. And then like afterwards, you know, they're they you know they make jokes about how he's a virgin and everything. And then he's like got this sheepish look on yeah. his face and everything. And he's like, All right, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of where Cameron Crowe puts it all together, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's had classics up until now, but nothing in the scope of this. Like this is just his his universe that he could dive into. He could tell how personal it was. Something tells me the more intimately he's familiar with his characters, the better his movies are. Absolutely. This is his life and Mm. the world that he experienced. And um, I just feel like some of his other movies, he gets away from that. Uh, He's always been really good about making relatable characters like Jerry Maguire, mega Mm. sports agent. Super relatable because, mm. well, he sends him crashing down to earth um, and he makes some stupid drunk decisions. But uh, but yeah, I think maybe he should. Hey, we had fast times where he went undercover and did all this research. Mm-hmm. So he really well knew the people he was writing about. Mm. He should do more of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to because he's never he's never bought a zoo. No. <laughs> right. He sure hasn't. How, what does he know about Zeus? He's right. never said aloha. Well, and I guess there's, I guess it's, he sort of fits that mold of filmmaker who really does need to draw from personal experience, like we're saying here, or else, yeah, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. Yeah, it's, it's not it, as relatable. It, it's un, and it's unfortunate because he has come out with, I mean, he wrote the screenplay for Fast Times and then Say Anything's great. Jerry mm-hmm. Maguire's great. Almost Famous is great. I like singles, even though Barrett doesn't. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Almost Famous is probably, uh, I don't know, I think that's probably uh, his most personal thing because he yeah. was a writer for Rolling Stone in the 70s and he followed around Led Zeppelin and all that. That's mm-hmm. why Zeppelin even shows up on the soundtrack, which was unheard of yeah. back in 2000. It was too expensive to put his song. Well, and that's they, wouldn't, they also are famously strict about not wanting films to use their music. And I think something about Cameron Crowe's street cred shows through there yeah like he might have picked up a phone and called one of the allman brothers and said hey can you call led zeppelin for me because <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. he was out on the road with all these really famous bands god yeah i wonder how much of that is anecdotal how much is extrapolation and how many of those little vignettes were real to life yeah i I'd bet it's love to pick his brain yeah i bet it's really close actually. i would say so yeah. i mean because yes they go over the top but you could You've heard stories of like Zeppelin or the other like big rock bands going even further over the top. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But we have here is a lot of great performances here. Billy Crudup, I don't think's ever been better than he is in this movie, or more memorable. I agree. Um, even, I mean, you know, I mean, I can't think of anything other than maybe Watchmen, but he's he was he's, in he was in a movie called Jesus's Son that was oh he was yeah, terrific that's in. right, that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, now, certainly on this scale, he's he's never been broader and better but it, I, I don't think Jesus's son was too far before this and mm-hmm. that type of vulnerability to his character kind of I think helps this along yeah. you know where he's he's a rock star but like he's got he's got a little more texture to him yeah I remember him in the movie inventing the Abbots before this oh too. yeah uh, but Liv Tyler yeah mm-hmm. Liv Tyler and uh, Jennifer Connelly um joaquin phoenix mm-hmm. um but uh then jason lee has never been as good as he's ever he, no. even in the kevin smith movies where he's great i don't think he's ever been as good closest as, he comes is uh my name is earl 
Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, pretty yeah. good on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But film-wise, uh, I don't know that I've seen him be any better than this. No, I mean- And, and he's he... often worse than this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about he... in the Chipmunks movies? Yeah, <laughs> let's go there. Forgot about those. Um, but then, uh, yeah, the, and, and then we have a great- um, small role from uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Lester Banks. Mm-hmm. I would this. almost tell you to watch this first if you're interested in watching more Philip Seymour Hoffman's work. It's such a small role, but he just owns it. He yeah. just kills so hard and speaks the harsh truth to this kid that he needs. Oh, it's so great. Francis McDormand's great in it, too. I mean, and and yeah, even we have uh, Michael Angerino's really young plays. Uh, what's his? Is it just it's just William, William Miller? William, William Miller. Miller. Uh, so Michael Angerino plays the young William, and then Patrick Fugit plays is the like eleven. Yeah, 11. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they're and they're both good. And you have Zoe Deschanel, and mm-hmm. it just comes. I mean, there's so many. It's infused with so many likable. And you have uh, uh, um, also early on in his career, uh, Jay Baruchel's in this. Oh yeah, it's Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but it's just there's everything about this uh, this movie is just every little sort of segment that they go through is just fun. It's you just you just glad to be a part of the part of the ride and everything. You even have a Jimmy Fallon. Part yeah, in Jimmy there. Fallon yeah. who comes in with a great cameo. Yeah. Hey, if you think Mick Jagger is going to be up on stage <laughs> dancing around when he's seventy, you are sadly mistaken. I don't know why I know this, but the girl who plays his wife. The lead singer's wife mm. is Mark Wahlberg's wife in Three Kids. Yeah, yeah, that's I don't right. Know her name, but there, every once in a while, you get one of these actors who's like in like four movies in a year, and then they just suddenly disappear. Poof. Yeah, <laughs> like the the wife of John Turturro in Quiz Show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was around a whole bunch of stuff at that time. You're like, oh, it's that girl, and then you're like, where did she go after that? <laughs> Poof. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, this this yeah this movie's just just really good i don't mm. know what else to say about it other than that it's just you go watch it and uh experience it because that's like being with a rock band uh you know behind the scenes it mm. really is like that and it's fun every minute of yeah. it just make us look cool man yeah <laughs> 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 uh but that leads us into no country for old men this this ca- this uh matchup reminds me a lot of the shawshank versus goodfellas mm, yeah um where you have one that's got the emotional uh winning and then you have the you know the kinetic winning of the other one no country for old men is the coen brothers uh doing their best action movie that they've ever done i mean it's it's a drama but it's it's an action movie Mm -hmm. um filled with so many like quirky ass characters i mean javier bartim that that is i that is one that's probably the most memorable character we've seen in the last 15 years or so i mean yeah especially a, as a villain yeah yeah anton Chigurh is 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 you know i mean because of all the little quirks he's got that little like cattle prod machine or whatever the hell it is mm-hmm. the, the, cattle you know, killer <laughs> cat killer whatever yeah, it is right um and uh and uh, the the thing that always uh, every time i hear no country for old men i think of it kind of like uh, uh children of men mm-hmm. three big action scenes yep. one is the hotel which is is just dynamite mm-hmm. the um the one with the dogs chasing after josh brolin yep. dynamite and then and then like the whole ending of it is just uh crazy good too mm-hmm. and um and we have another one where another movie where everybody's just amazingly good in this yeah 
uh, Josh Brolin and uh, Kelly McDonald and uh, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones are all. Uh, this might be the last great Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I love peak Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. Like he was just because this is certainly a, not anywhere near his fugitive type of mentality, but he plays it so tired and so but so knowledgeable and mm-hmm. so smart and. I I love this performance. I you know? love his deputy, yeah. who, who I call not Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guy from Looper. Like, right, right, he's right. In a bunch of stuff, and he looks like L- Will Forte's brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's so funny. Like when they go to Llewellyn's trailer, and they know the bad guy has been there because the locks busted in. And Tommy Lee points at the milk. That's frustrating. <laughs> it's still sweating. And there's like a beat and a half, and the deputy goes, Oh, Sheriff, we just missed him. <laughs> <laughs> so funny how, like, he's not totally stupid, but he does. He obviously hasn't learned how to police yet. And Tommy Lee is kind of having to guide him through it. <laughs> uh, the, and, the, you know, the Coens always find a way to make things funny in the middle of a serious thing you know yeah. like the the part where uh Shigur is is injured and his like leg is br- like is broken or whatever and the two kids come along on yeah. the bikes and, and the kid keeps going look at that fucking bone <laughs> and then like and then <laughs> like he just he, keep, he can't say anything else look at that fucking bone <laughs> well, let me ask you a question on all of the anton sugar moments that we are left without a concrete did he or did he not kill this person mm-hmm. are we supposed to just assume he did because I don't. Because we never see him kill that gas station guy. We see him talk well, for like six and a half minutes and then drive away. In I truck. am certain he doesn't kill the gas station. Guy. Yeah, because he flips because the right. he flips the coin yeah. and it and it. But that's what's so damn intense about it is he's telling this guy for no reason flip the coin and he's like, why does it matter? He's like, it matters. It matters everything. Yeah. It means everything. Yeah. You know, and 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 so he calls it and he gets it right. And and the other one is Kelly McDonald. Yeah, his wife obviously got killed that's what in i that one because the reason is uh earlier on when he kills woody harrelson this is a spoiler heavy fucking <laughs> <laughs> um when he kills woody harrelson and he gets on the phone blood starts going towards his boots and yeah. he like makes sure that no blood gets on his boots when he does the thing with kelly mcdonald and we're not sure he go he walks outside and he checks his boots ah um, nice detail yeah it's a great detail it's one of those things where you're where you're like yeah we didn't need to see whether or not we didn't need to see the bloody aftermath yeah. of us just show that one detail and that's enough story for us yeah i mean i think it's i think it's clear but it's not the only one that's that away i'm pretty sure is the guy from accounting in the high rise who's where he's like do you see me like, no. are you going to kill me? He's like, that depends. Do you see? I'm, I'm kind of doing Bane. I'll just turn Shigur into Bane. It, it, it's, not, it, it's not too far, though. No. It's not no, too far. Not. Well, what I love about this movie, you talked about the spoiler heavy. I could name you every plot spoiler there is, and this movie would still rivet you. Like, oh, yeah. It is just engaging as hell. And there, I, I watched that hotel fight scene again recently. Every time I watch it, once he finds the tracker... I'm like, throw it out the window. Yeah, throw yeah. it out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't. Right. He just, he just, he knows the guy's in the in the hotel because he calls the front desk and he doesn't like run or he just kind of basically waits. Yeah. yeah. 
to get killed and he points his gun but he doesn't know the lock thing is gonna hit him i yeah. fucking love that scene so the damn much. scene is great it's uh it's it's like old cohen's on this blood simple is where they really started they they started this kind of suspense thing that they're mm. really good at blood simple has that same type of thing with francis mcdormand's in the in the uh room and you know the the killers coming after her and all mm. this other type of stuff this one though has so many like just of those details where you see the shadow of the shoes yep. going across God, so the awesome. light going out all the stuff <laughs> and, and then just like that 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 sort of that hold your breath moment like what's going to happen and then bing, yeah. you know? <laughs> um and then just man and then after that it's just that awesome gun battle that they have going through all that but uh these could be i could watch those tense ass scenes from anton chigger like on repeat mm -hmm. because there's probably like four or five of them i guess in this but mm -hmm. none more suspenseful to me than that gas station scene where he's just like yeah heads or tails amigo and he's like like you were saying like it just has no clue how close he came to this he's terror incarnate he's the grim reaper mm -hmm. at completely arbitrarily <laughs> killing people in his wake and there's a reason that the poster is a, a, a picture of the landscape and it's just Javier Bardem's eyes over it mm -hmm. and that silly haircut. And it's because like he's omnipresent in every, he's almost like Hannibal Lecter. You just have this sense of dread throughout the whole time because you know he's out there. I love yeah. when he goes to the camping supply store and he's like, I want to get some tent poles. The guy's like, tent poles? We don't sell them separate from the tents. And he's like, never mind, I want a tent. He's like, what kind of tent do you want? One with the most poles. <laughs> <laughs> He's smart. Yeah. He's so smart. Like, he gets much more credit, or he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. That whole thing he does with getting the second room and using the tent poles yeah. to push the money into the vent so he can get it from the other side. Uh, the whole movie, he's displaying these kind of street smarts. And, you know, it's one of the reasons he goes further going up against Chigurh than anyone ever has, mm -hmm. right? Because the theory is, like, Woody Harrelson says to him in the hospital, you you know, he should have killed you. You should be dead. You're mm -hmm. lucky to be alive to go up against him. <laughs> um, I love this movie. It's really, really good. This is a hard choice. It yeah. really is. All right. So what is our uh, our order? I believe it starts with Jeremy. Wow. Yep. All right. So Almost Famous has my heart. And I got to pick No Country for Old Men. Ooh. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry. Almost famous. I know. I'm sorry, Kate Hudson. This is like this is like Jason Siegel and forgetting Sarah Marshall killing the pig. Yeah, I'm so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you can stop crying now. It's dead already. I know. I'm sure. right. um, yeah, I'm gonna feel bad about this. I just it feels like a breakup. Uh, Almost famous is just magical and will make you feel all the feels. But there is. I can't find a bad thing to say about No Country, except the end is a little wonky. Yeah. Um, you know, everything you've shown me uh, with Llewellyn to not show me that mm. moment. I get what's going on here, but it still bothers me sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's such a great film. Technically, the pacing, the it's one of the most suspense films ever. The performances, I can't, I can't not vote for it. I'm sorry. Yep. Yeah. It's also beautiful. Oh, yep. it's gorgeous. It's this that is Roger Deakins thing, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, because we were just talking about Fargo and how gorgeous that was, which is weird because it's this barren landscape. Mm -hmm. um, what makes it cool is that how blood appears on the snow to yeah. being a, a, a uh, kind of a nice contrast. But No Country for All Men is just filmed in this beautiful landscape. 
Um, everything is positioned perfectly. The you mentioned the kinetic pace of it. That's mm-hmm. so good. Almost Famous is a weird thing for me because this is catnip for me. This is right up my alley. This mm-hmm. this should be a fastball right down the middle. Never liked it as much as everybody else did. Wow. Um, I don't know why. Um, I love all the performances in it. I love the music in it. I was going to say, Fever Dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because those those bands, Led Zeppelin aside, like you know, Almond Brothers bands and, and things like that never really held my interest. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's just that whole Americana thing that, that I, I didn't get. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry to take the suspense out, but I'm going to vote No Country for Old Men. I don't think twice about it. Yeah, and I was going to say No Country for Old Men, too. Uh, the, I mean, this is a... I can't pick against No Country for Old Men. I It's... I don't know. It's not the exact same as the Goodfellas versus Shawshank because yeah. Shawshank, while it has is more in line of an almost famous than you know whatever. It's Shawshank's got that elevation mm-hmm. to it and everything, and that made that Goodfellas Shawshank. That's that's where I was really Jason Segel. Yeah, in that one, <laughs> I just I just I, how do I kill Goodfellas? <laughs> you know, how do I do that? Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be unanimous. Uh, no country for old men is just an achievement uh and uh especially i mean that that year 2007 yep. is so so good man. as opposed to 2000 when uh almost famous one in our uh thing here very weak year mm-hmm. um i mean what gladiator would have been maybe the second pick but mm-hmm. almost famous in that year i think was was unanimous too mm-hmm. with why it's got a, a high seed but Man, 2007. Yeah. It's a beast. It's a beast. By the way, a note on Deacons, and I'm pretty sure we've I've mentioned this before, but he's been nominated 13 times Jeez. and has never won. Never. Man, come on. And and his his cinematography is so stark and amazing that you're like, oh, surely this guy's won at least once. Yeah. Nope. That's he has insane. never won. That's crazy, That's man. Um, how do you get nominated 13 fucking times and not win one fucking award? It's kind of like, I think Randy Newman had this thing where he was getting best song nominations for the longest time, never won. And then finally won. Yeah. I was like, geez, after like 18 <laughs> nominations. It's like Susan Lucci for the daytime. Yeah, Susan Lucci. Like, and you nominated 16 or 17 times in a row. And you would have thought like by the 10th, they would have been like, oh, okay, let's just give it let's to just her kick once. one over her way. <laughs> yeah. She had so much competition in the soap like, opera yeah, but, category. But, but no, the soap opera guild or whatever, is like, they're way they're way too snuffy to yeah, just give a, somebody. It's all political. Yeah, man. it's all political. <laughs> Um, all right. So no country for all men moves on. All right. On to the next one. Four seed, a few good men versus the 13 seed. Do the right thing. Oh, oh, wow. Um, this is a tough matchup. Uh, I, I have a feeling of where this is going to go, but, mm. uh, let's talk about these. A few good men. Uh, one of uh, Rob Reiner's best this is sort of introduced us to Aaron Sorkin as our writer too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh this movie is just so watchable yeah like is that i I don't know is that a compliment i don't know i guess it's like every bit of this movie is watchable you can turn it on anytime in the middle of it at the end it doesn't matter you don't turn the movie at the end and go ah but i really want to see the beginning first or whatever you watch that ending every single time if you're familiar with a few good men (laughs) um and if it's starting, it's even better. It's like, I get to see this whole movie now. Uh, this movie's great. 
I would love to see the prequel about Lionel Caffey. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, the dad? Yeah, because he's talked about everybody knows this guy. Mm-hmm. Do you? How many famous lawyers do you know? Military <laughs> lawyers. <laughs> military lawyers. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, no, he, he was military, and then he went to private sector because he defended that girl in- Oh, uh, that's right in Alabama or wherever it was and insulted John Kendrick, which I think is a great moment in the movie. He's mm-hmm. like, made a lot of enemies where you're from. And Kiefer Sutherland just kind of like, you know, pulls back and gives him that, that death stare. It's like, man, you're <laughs> yeah. fucked up, Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> yeah, he's a dick. He really is. And this is actually one of Kiefer Sutherland's most singular performances because mm-hmm. he's never, he's always been like the bad boy or like the badass, mm-hmm. but he's never been like, you know, the super laced up, bad guy mm-hmm. and i mean he's arguably the worst person in this movie yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, you could make that case i'd still go nicholson but yeah you could make that case the the apostle john kendrick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um man this is such a great film i don't know i don't know how i'm gonna compare it to something like do the right thing mm-hmm. well I, I i like this because it's just it's all it is at its heart is a courtroom drama mm-hmm. all it is i mean and we're and by 1992 We've seen the courtroom drama millions of times. I'm sure back in 1940 they had seen enough courtroom dramas. Courtroom dramas have a certain way about them, and you you know that nothing is ever really special about them. This is a special one, though. It is. It's got a plotting to it that's uh-huh. just way different from your mo- your most of your courtroom dramas that you run into. And it's not shouty. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of them have been shouty. Does, get, and, a little, oh, does, well, does, does get a little shouty though. It does at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, before then, like everything is methodical, which makes it sound like it's formulaic or something like that. But every piece fits. Um, every rebuttal makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. when they when they and it, it's almost impossible the way that they go back and forth. But that scene with uh, Kevin Bacon and Tom Cruise, where Kevin Bacon brings out the manual, he's like, yeah. you know, show me where you know you have to give a code red, and then he's got the Gitmo manual. He's like, well, we're in luck, you know. Show me where this does to give the code red, and then he grabs the manual on the way on yeah. his way back. Tom Cruise does. He's like, show me where the child or the the mess hall is, you know. <laughs> and that kind of thing is what sets this apart from anything else. It's so fucking smart about mm. how it goes about, uh, even though as many times as we've watched it, we know all the ins and outs of it, but there's so many layers to it. Well, mm-hmm. in that scene you just talked about, like it, it, after that evening, like that day in court, like Kevin Bacon goes to meet him at the bar. The first thing he says is, man, that redirect on what's his name? That was <laughs> pure gold. I love how they show that they're not good versus evil. Like Kevin Bacon's doing his job. He's going to do it to the best of his ability, but they're kind of friends before this case, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I also love at the end of that scene when he tells him he's going to lock his boys up and Tom Cruise is like, you're a lousy fucking softball player, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Boys going down. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I love this. And I love also, like, we have basically an inexperienced lawyer team here defending these guys. And they run into those things where they've got the they've got the young and up and at them type of thing where they're like, you know, giving this a really good defense and everything. They also fall into the pitfalls of it, especially during the the time where they've got the uh, Downey's the one who's on the stand and Bacon starts going through the the timeline yeah. and everything. And it was just a 
phenomenal mistake on their part not to be able to get that timeline right because they're even like where is he going with this when they're, they're writing the yeah. notes and everything yeah, and they it, don't know their own client wasn't in the room right and, it, and it's and, it, and you know it wasn't I, even in the room yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great drunk performance it is it's one of the best drunk it's, it's over the top but it's also great <laughs> what's funny about that drunk performance is that Five minutes later, he is stone oh, sober. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, oh, once yeah. you run in the rain like Tom Cruise does, you you lose all. He's the- driving. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's, he's driving. driving. I'm gonna right. put Jess up on the stand, and like all of a sudden, he's fine. You know. I'm sorry. I got my Tom Cruise runs through rain things <laughs> confused. There, he is driving. You're right. He shouldn't have like. No. Yeah. He's driving he was drunk. Fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. one of the only things I can gripe about with this movie is how the fuck did Markinson get in the back of Tom Cruise's car in like the three seconds he hops out to go buy that newspaper? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Right? I like, know. He's just like hanging made, out. He, he went from a colonel, a lieutenant colonel at Gitmo to a goddamn ninja. Yeah. yeah. Like he's had Jason Bourne training to stuff at least. <laughs> Too many people in movies are getting into cars and not even peripherally seeing their backseat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. I love that because, well, what's funny about that is that Markinson suddenly becomes this super fucking badass yeah. as soon as he goes because kevin bacon's like you're never gonna find markinson he's a ghost yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there is no markinson yeah, yeah you know like he was counterintelligence yeah, he's gone yeah yeah and uh yeah so apparently he specialized in getting into the backseat you know ghosts. it's also probably easy to look at this movie and think it's anti-military in some way because of mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson is is a real hard ass. He's making sure his men are, you know, you know, you need me on that wall. You want me on that wall. All this other type of stuff. And there's a lot of truth to what Nicholson is saying in Mm -hmm. that in that thing. Um, I don't think it is. I think it's where it's showing where when military goes too far. It doesn't. I mean, but it's easy to kind of look at this and say, "Oh, it's just an anti-military." It's movie. a whole culture. If you if you live in, obviously, none of us have been in the military, but if you have, we have friends that have been, and it's a whole different culture. And you can see it after they've been, you know, on a tour or something like that. They come back. They're speaking almost a different language, mm. you know. And these two defendants are devastated that their punishment is being kicked out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's our whole world, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I mean, he even says, Jessup says, you know, my uh, my existence, however grotesque to you, probably saves lives. Yeah. And he means that yeah. shit. Even when he gets arrested, he's like, you weakened a country today. Yeah. Sweet, sweet dreams. Yeah. And who's going to do it? You, Lieutenant Weinberg. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And that. in that case, he's probably right. But you went too far. Yeah. You went. I mean, that's just the, the, the situation. You're not above the law. That whole thing, getting him to say the stuff that he does on the stand is great, though. And it's. And, and 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 in some ways you feel I don't know I feel it's easy to feel cheated a little bit when the the actual guy admits to the to the wrongdoing and everything but the way he gets there yeah. is what's great about oh him. yeah it's all build up it's all the build up because you can see Kathy just jumping off a ledge and hoping that he's got a rope because mm-hmm. he, he's he's going for it right and they have that whole you know don't do it if you if you can't get him and he's just like. I am going to find a way to get this, and I know which things to push. He knows that he, he knows Nicholson's guilty. Yeah, it's not about that. Yeah, it's about can I get him to admit it? Mm-hmm. And you know, I think he just reaches a point. I honestly always always take the movie as 
he starts without knowing it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. He just decides, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. yeah. And I may end up in jail after this. Yeah. That's how sure I am this guy did it. And I kind of think it's a pissing contest. Mm-hmm. I kind of think it's a little bit of like stubbornness. Like, you are not going to get over on me. I know what you did. Yeah. Oh, that's why it works. Yeah. That's yeah. why every time that we see it after seeing it, probably 25 more, you know, mm-hmm. more than that times. You're still going to be compelled because you're like, man, how does he do this? And every time he could see like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's he's pushing him because he he says he wants to say it. Yeah. He yeah. eats breakfast. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, also, the only movie I'm aware of that ever inspired a Mountain Dew flavor. Code, <laughs> Code Red. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Do they call it Mountain Dew Code Red if this movie hasn't hit the mainstream and it's part of the... Probably not. If this movie comes out after Mountain Dew Code Red, how much do they have to rework the script? I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah. Like, is there like a millennial confusion when they watch this movie and they start saying Code Red and they're yeah, like, the Mountain Dew Code Right. I guarantee, I guarantee you there's... Why been... would you get in trouble for giving a fellow soldier a delicious beverage? I guarantee you there's there are people who have thought that same, that very thing. Um, What's all right. our other movie? Do the right thing which oh. is funny. uh this movie came on the other day um uh the i was i was watching it in a different way uh usually i just watch it because it's just a great movie or whatever mm-hmm. but i was like what is it about this movie that just grabs you from the beginning and like and then it just takes you propels you all the way to the ending it almost every scene in this movie is a confrontation of some yep. sort uh and it was something that i didn't really like consciously think about before but almost everything is an argument Mm -hmm. it starts off with giancarlo esposito coming in and saying you know why aren't there any black people on the wall in this italian restaurant and Mm -hmm. everything and uh and it starts off like sort of innocuous you don't really put much credence into this you know this thing at the beginning because it's like nobody's really going along with his he wants to he wants to boycott Sal's pizzeria and mm-hmm. all this other type of stuff. And everybody's like, man, I've been growing up on Sal's the entire, my, you know, for 20 years. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to boycott. And you know, Martin Lawrence coming in and he's like, them, them pizza shits is good, man, or something, whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, everything in this is just confrontation. You have Totoro, who's like rampantly racist in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Spike Lee, who's his, you know, I guess, coworker or underling or whatever, who's hearing all this stuff openly. Yeah. And, you know, there's like these conversations where he's like, you know, who's your favorite basketball player? Who's your favorite actor? <laughs> who's your favorite performer and everything? And he's like, he's like, I think you want to be black, man. He's like, no, nah, man. And he's like, the, the, those, the, you know, Magic Johnson and all those guys, those aren't, those guys aren't black. And Spike <laughs> Lee is like sitting there going, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, and, uh, but like every city, you know, it, this movie is, is on, I don't know if Spike Lee originally uh, wanted to make it a play or something, but mm. it's got that car- kind of like play Very atmosphere much. to yeah. it. It keeps going to these segments of the population in Brooklyn here where it's like going, you know, you have the the guys at the corner, the old guys at the corner just keep talking about all the good old days. Yep. You got the you've got Bill Nunn's uh Radio Rahim character yeah. who going who's going around like with this blaring like public enemy all <laughs> over the place. Um and you have the guy you know, have the one guy who's like selling all the little like religious pamphlets and yeah. Danny Aiello and and him doing the Italian restaurant. It's just it's 
and everything is just so hot. Yep. It's a hot summer, and yeah. it's just everything is. You can see it just beating down on all these people. You know, it's just like it's it's too hot. Everybody is like a powder keg right now. Yep. You don't know what's going to quite spark it off because you feel like this probably happens every day, uh, but just not the right sequence of events to kick off the whole yes. thing. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, it's it is a movie that. I'm going to continue to probably study from, yeah. you know, I mean, even after this sort of realization that everything's a confrontation in this movie, um, this is Spike Lee's best movie still. Absolutely. Too. Yep. Uh, and he's gone on to make a lot of movies that, uh, you know, uh, I recommend you go watch, but do the like right girl six, girl six <laughs> bamboozled, um, clockers, clockers, which I haven't seen. He got game. But He Got Game's great. I liked He Got yeah, Game. Ray it. Allen's not a very good actor. Though. No, no, no. no. But uh, do the right thing. Go and watch that movie because it's just insane how good it is. It's like it's the kind of thing that might make you wonder, it's possible that like Denis Villeneuve or uh, our, our new hot directors are just going to tank, mm. right? Because this is like his first big movie. Yeah, he had done School Days before this, but that wasn't nearly like, you know. <laughs> school Days, man. Yeah, man. And you're doing the butt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which they have a somebody was wearing a shirt of debut in Do the Right Thing. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, Spike Lee has never gotten back to this level of technical and you know writing proficiency. I don't think. I don't think so either. Um, and I don't know. Well, Malcolm X is probably as, as far as accomplished film. Mm -hmm. Malcolm X is probably his most accomplished. Do the Right Thing is his sort of his like what Tarantino's yeah. Pulp Fiction yeah. was. It's like his um, Manhattan. Yeah. But has yeah. Tarantino ever gotten back to Pulp Fiction levels? Nah, I mean, he's he's more pop director. His his sensibilities have become more pop, I guess, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Spike Lee's never became pop. No. Um, no, I, and I guess he tried to. I mean, he was certainly part of the popular culture, especially with the Jordan commercials and all that. Yeah, stuff. but the- Miles Blackman. And, uh, but do the right thing. I can't imagine the- balls this is a this is a studio film yeah. this isn't this isn't it's a universal picture yeah. like the balls universal had yeah. letting this movie happen and everything and it's just unreal like yeah. I was, I, when this came on the other day and i saw the universal logo yeah. i was like the fuck <laughs> <laughs> i saw i saw this movie many years later probably about 96 97 or something like that and i just thought i hadn't heard a whole lot about it uh I thought it was just like, you know, kind of a pop culture movie and that kind of thing, you know, just watch it and mm -hmm. everything. I wasn't ready for what it has to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it really, it blew me away when I saw it. Like, it made me think for weeks and weeks afterwards. And what's interesting is that, you know, we're from, or Chris and I are from the South and Jeremy's from small towns too. And you associate the South, for better or for worse, with racism and things like that. What you don't realize, and when you go to bigger cities, Chris is in New York and I lived in Chicago and Jeremy outside of Chicago, is that how racially segregated openly yep. the big cities are. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's the same in Brooklyn in this in this period. There are, in these big cities, there are sections that are separated by side of the street that you don't go over the yeah. other mm -hmm. side of that street. Yeah. And when that those cultures do come together... And you see it just building and building and building throughout mm -hmm. this whole movie and cultivates with this crazy scene uh, at uh, the pizzeria. Like, man, like you just really see that side of how people can live together, but in constant conflict all the time. Mm -hmm. Because 
it's this side of the street versus my side of the street. It's your race versus my race. It's my heritage versus your heritage. And never more prevalent uh, what you just said than in the one scene where the movie stops for a moment to have the camera dolly in to all these people while they're saying the most racist things that they can think of i don't know if it was scripted this way or if they just let these guys go off the top of their head because it's a lot of the times it just kind of like sound like they're trying to come up with the the bad thing to say and it goes to the black guy talking about this this race it goes to the latino guy talking about this race and it, it just goes around and around and around and it's just it just like takes your breath away it's so shocking that you think it's fucking fake mm-hmm. the shocking part is that is actually reality in yeah. these communities yeah and i didn't realize that i'm an i'm an idiot but i didn't realize that until later on in life and that's why i've got such an appreciation of this where he's just like pulling pulling the curtain back and be like here's here's what it is this is a thing also that i did not realize uh at all somebody asked spike lee why does his character throw the garbage can into the into the pizzeria and smashes it and mm-hmm. like makes it where they, everybody just smashes up uh, uh, the pizzeria and everything? And he's like, you know what? No one black has ever asked me that question. And, and you know, it ultimately comes down to they're going to kill Danny Aiello, basically, yeah. because think about all this stuff that has happened. There's uh, basically an almost riot in his pizzeria in the first place. Mm. The cops come and they step down too hard on the Bill Nunn character, the, the Radio Rahim character, and they kill him. Mm. This is also based on a real, actual, you know, cops, you know, killing uh, basically an innocent person in the same situation based on that. Um, uh, that happens. And then Aiello comes out and he's like, he, you know, he starts yelling and stuff. And, and, and Spike Lee... His character says, "Okay, he's gonna he's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, focus our rage on his pizzeria instead." And that's where the "Do the Right Thing" title comes from. Ah. And uh, I did not realize that huh. actually. I did not realize that at all. So he's trying to save his life with uh, a riot. Yeah, basically smashing up his place. Everybody focuses their rage on his store. I don't think I ever realized that. Yeah. Instead, because Aiello comes out and he starts yelling and everything, yeah. and 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 everybody's just like they've they've come around. Like it, at first they were like, "No, nah, man, I love the pizzeria. I don't ever whatever." Uh, once once he tells once he says he he says the one racial slur, which mm-hmm. is where Totoro gets it. You finally realize, even though he's played very nice as far as you know his uh his outward demeanor has been this whole time he lets some of his racial uh prejudice come out mm. in the scene where Raheem comes in and, is, and plays the music and everything and he lets off a racial slur well there's other people in the restaurant yeah. and they're like whoa whoa yeah. whoa and then that's where everybody starts turning on him and uh and so it's uh, it's a really interesting thing when when they said do the right thing I didn't know that's what yeah. that I did I had no idea and you know thank thank you Spike Lee for uh you That's know. awesome. So out of these two movies what's our order? All right, so I'll start off and I wish of all of them I wish this was a tie. Mm-hmm. Like I wish we could have both of them move on because mm-hmm. the more I thought about this matchup and I, I I love a few good men so much but I really went back to the fact that do the right thing blew me the fuck away mm. the first time that I saw it and in subsequent viewings too. It's a very rewatchable movie. It's a very tense movie, mm-hmm. 
but there's some there's some good humor in there too. Yeah. Like there's some some really funny moments. I have to go with a few good men mm-hmm. um, because I'm racist. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but the, uh, I thought the, you just went with the other one. <laughs> lulled me into a false sense of security. That's the way I interpreted your vote. Now, A Few Good Men is some of the smartest dialogue of all time, some of the best performances of all time, and it is honestly hard to beat for me even moving forward, too. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a tease, kids. Mm-hmm. He's giving us an upset tease. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go do the right thing mm-hmm. on this one um, because <sighs> as and again, I love these movies. I could this is one of those rare moments where you have both of them in front of you and it's not obvious which one yeah. that you should watch. Uh, and uh, I'm going to go with that one just because it, I don't know. In 1989, we have never seen anything this uh powder keg before mm. and uh and uh, it's just it's it's good throughout it it just pulls you through to the end of this movie and a few good men's the same way mm-hmm. um i'm just gonna go with do the right thing because it's i think it's a more important movie than a few good oh men yeah is. it is and 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 really that's the only advantage it has over a few good men mm. and that's and few good men is not like not important mm. so anyway that's what i'm gonna pick Mm-hmm. God damn it! I sit before you with no idea what to vote. <laughs> I'm gonna go do the right thing. Do the right thing because wow. I think I like you said it's not that a few good men is unimportant, mm-hmm. but what's important about few good men is not as important as what's important about do the right thing. Yeah, that's a good way to put and, it. And. Uh, <clears throat> For that reason, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Spike Lee's way, and uh, and that, that hurts my soul. Yeah, I know it. It does me <laughs> as well. I I and I think this is all. I mean, this is an upset uh, for sure. I mean, even though, mm. um, even though they're, I think they're e- about equal films mm-hmm. or everything. I, this is still an upset because I do believe a few good men had a chance to kind of go all the way. Yeah. in this. But it's a tough matchup to put it, it up against right off the bat. <laughs> and, um, you know, this was definitely a, a it wasn't a bubble pick as far as whether it would get in or not. It was where it was seated uh, because Chris actually voted for this uh, first off in 1989. Mm-hmm. Of course, 1989 had that glut of stuff. We went several rounds. Feel the dreams is 89. Up, yeah, 89. Yeah. Last Crusade, When Harry Met Sally, um, yeah. and Do the Right Thing. So it was a stacked year. And, make a case that that it it should have won yeah um all right so that leads us on to the five seed the right stuff Mm -hmm. versus the 12 seed eternal sunshine of the spotless mind (laughs) wow that's a really interesting matchup (laughs) that's a wacky matchup and and when i first looked at it i was like oh well that's gonna win but now i'm i've now that i've read it out loud i'm not quite sure yeah um so the right stuff is it is the right stuff dated now do Mm. we do we really i mean i do i i i really care about space exploration and everything i think it's something that we're going to end up having to do uh down the line you know i mean uh, not not anytime soon Mm -hmm. i just think that as a podcast you mean yes as a podcast we're gonna have to go out into space podcast in space yeah um but uh the the excitement that i think the excitement we had about the space program in the 80s hmm. 
is is so much lower. Like, no, we don't care about launches anymore. Of course, the NASA doesn't do it anymore. Now we're relying on SpaceX yep. to do their thing. Um, but back in the eighties, man, I remember being a kid and being like, man, going to space—that's got to be like the coolest fucking thing in the world yeah. and everything. And it's really dropped off the face of the map since. But I love this movie so much. Talking about the early days yeah. of it. Uh, finding all these pilots and finding the best men they can possibly can to, you know, to be able to endure the, uh, the stuff that you have to go through when you're going into space. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a huge cast in this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, A a veritable who's who of Mm -hmm. who's going to be famous and winning Oscars and all that are in this like if if you name any actor they're probably in it you know gene hackman yeah oh shit he's not in it <laughs> fuck tommy lee jones fuck <laughs> um but no there's just a lot of people in this and it's and i always found that a really fascinating thing is just to be able to you know the the beginnings of it in this way where they're like they're, well maybe we should find you know pi- fighter pilots who dealt with the g's and all this other type of stuff and and they they start there and they move their way up. It's a three hour movie. Yeah. And uh, every time I watch it, I'm like just engrossed yeah. in it. I like how they make them human, though. Like they show like kind of the 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 off time, the downtime. Mm-hmm. This is you know these paragons of virtue that we look at, like uh, Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom and uh, John Glenn and all those guys that you just look at and say like. Those are the people that have unimpeachable character. Not that they don't uh, in this, but like you see conflicts in their in their marriage, and you see them, you know, going out and and having fun, blowing off steam, and things like that. And it's not just them going through all this training, even though it's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. I think we're on in the real world on the verge of a new boom of space excitement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In part because of Elon Musk and SpaceX and all the things he's trying to push to do, but I mean. This company has fired a rocket into the air and landed it back on Earth on its own like four fucking times already. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now go back to the 80s when you're a kid watching Challenger launches and tell me that you ever thought that kind of shit would be possible. Yeah. And um, anyway, I again, I think I've said this on the podcast, but I grew up in an era where they would they would bring all the kids at school into the gym to watch the shuttle launches. Yep. It was that big of a deal. Imagine being alive. During this time, like in mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s, when the first real space race was going on, yeah. when they first landed a man on the moon, I had mm-hmm. to shit my pants. Oh, I know. I grew up with the knowledge that that was possible. Yeah. So to me, that's like putting a man on Mars. Yeah. Which I may get to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't understand people who aren't into space and space ec- exploration because um, I'm not wired that way. And, yeah. and this movie, if you like that stuff, this movie's fantastic. All the performances are just knockouts. Uh, my only complaint is that it, it's so long. Yeah. It, it gets a little slow at certain times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love this movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know really much we can say about it. It's 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 about the space program. It tells us all these different things. The Fred Ward thing is really yeah. uh, uh, Gus Grissom's. Yeah. Uh, you feel so bad. It's such a poor bastard moment <laughs> is Gus Grissom, man. It's like, oh, my God, you know. 
Um, and he's and that's what taints his. He's a he's a badass astronaut, yep. and that's his legacy. Yeah. It's Bill Buckner for astronaut. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, and but uh, but yeah, I love all the little training sequences and mm-hmm. all that, and just the you know the the you know he has to pee and everything. Well, you know, just go in your suit, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's just a fascinating thing for me. On the other hand, we have Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Boy. This movie is almost as important as some of the other ones we've talked about, mm-hmm. only on the side of love and emotions and relationships and how complex they can be. Um, I had never seen anything like this movie before I saw it. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first times I saw a director play so much with visuals, but still make it make sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, You can watch a movie like The Cell. Yeah. Right. And you might go, well, that is trippy. I should have taken LSD. But what the fuck happened? Yeah. <laughs> what am I looking at? Right. This movie gives you crazy visuals, mm-hmm. but you know exactly what's happening in this movie. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so good. And you talk about a big cast. Uh-huh. This has Tom Wilkinson and Elijah Wood and Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunst. And that's not even the main two players. Yeah. Exactly. Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet are just I mean this. This relationship, you're it you it plays on your uh idea that, you know, the two leads that oh, they seem so perfect together. Yeah. You want them to get back for some reason, even though this movie tells you in great detail why they shouldn't. Yeah. And and, and but you're still feeling that it plays on your like sort of uh your expectations of romantic comedies and, and stuff where you're like, I really hope they're able to figure this out by the end or anything. But, yeah, because of how it's how it's ordered. Yeah. Because of how it starts. Right. You're set up it's almost a cheat, but it's a great cheat. Mm-hmm. Uh you're set up on the ass end of this relationship mm-hmm. and then you go back without even knowing it. It's weird about this. It's it's a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Uh just as a romantic comedy. Yeah. Cuz this is I guess set in the near future. Um because they've they've got this technology that uh, you know, obviously, we don't, we don't have to erase memories and these neural maps and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's how they get away with those cool visuals. The, my favorite visual on this is where he's in the the memory and everything's getting dark and it's closing around him. He's trying to, to, to take uh, Clementine through there and guide her through there. And he gets into the office and she's, he's lost her. He's gotten to the office and he sees Tom Wilkinson from behind and he turns him around and it's still the back of his head. Yeah. He turns him around and it's still the back of his head. That's a creepy visual. But it's awesome, man. It's exactly, I've never seen anybody represent dreams as well as you see here because dreams are fucked up, even in Inception. Um, when you think about a dream when you first wake up, you get weird visuals like that. Like you, you can't run. Like you feel like your your feet are stuck in mud and that kind of thing. Or you're. It's frustrating. You're trying mm-hmm. to turn this guy around and you're only seeing the back of his head. And it's set. Every bit of this is brilliant. The sci-fi is fun. Uh, the the kind of tertiary plot with uh, Elijah Wood and uh, Kirsten Dunst and Mark Ruffalo was great. And then you have. The the visuals, man, it's it's so it's such a great movie. Yeah, I mean, what it broke my heart. Yeah. Like very few movies that try to do that actually succeed, mm-hmm. right? Like I think the only reason I ever cried at Old Yeller was because I was five, mm-hmm. right? When I watch Old Yeller now, it's not gonna move me. It's not gonna really? make me sad. Really? Fuck no. What the fuck, man? Come on, you're dude. gonna be fine with Old Yeller? Yeah. 
You're going to be completely stone-faced. When the was the last time you saw Old Yeller? Okay, it's been a minute, but <laughs> still. All you're remembering is they shoot the dog. And that, yeah. that's sad. But yeah. it's like an hour and a half of boredom. That's a terrible movie. No, it's a boy and his dog. It's, it's, not, a, don't, it's a don't dog give in a boy it, movie. You're, you're lionizing it. You're romanticizing oh, it. Man, I'm going to watch that tonight. And All I'm right. going to call you. There's an animation. <laughs> Did you ever see that animation of Godzilla versus Bambi where Godzilla just stomps yes. on Bambi? Does that make you sad? <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Because my point is yeller. this movie eternal sunshine of the spotless mind really got to me mm-hmm. um, because i think most of us have had a relationship that turns rocky at some point and mm. the, this movie plays a lot with the idea of memories and which memories do you want to keep and which memories do you would you rather get rid of and you can't in this movie he chooses to get rid of all of them and then later regrets that once the happy memories start getting wiped out mm-hmm. um it's just a gut wrencher, I think, and and uh, really inventive. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. You probably like Old Yeller. <laughs> and this is uh, Charlie Kaufman uh, uh, still on an amazing streak here because he had done Being John Malkovich an adaptation, um, uh, sort of a star screenwriter in this little mm-hmm. period of time here with uh, first-time director Michel Gondry. Uh, actually, I don't know if this was his first movie, but it was his first big one. Yeah, because he was doing all those music videos. Yeah, music videos and stuff like that. I don't think he's quite uh, lived up to this movie at all, and I don't know if that's because of the Kaufman influence or if it's just because, uh, you know, who knows, some other factor. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Be Kind Rewind was fun, Yeah, but it certainly wasn't up to this level. What this had... Was the perfect amount of smarts and and heart. Didn't mean that smarts and heart to rhyme, but yeah, I mean you don't get movies like this when you get an Inception. You get big ideas and you get you know cerebral stuff. But for me, like the Mal stuff wasn't tugging at my heartstrings all that much. It was just a plot device essentially. With this, the plot device is the entire movie basically. Yeah, these two had teamed up before three years prior in a movie called human nature ah with patricia arquette yeah yeah tim robbins that's like nell she's like a forest person i think (laughs) somebody in that movie lives in the woods and is like nell i I haven't i haven't seen it in forever but i remember it not being very good and i guess that's just where they got their their first team up or whatever i liked working with that guy or whatever and Mm. then they did eternal sunshine and spot was mine which is I mean, it's miles ahead of yeah. human nature. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I love themes, musical themes from songs that run through. Singles has this. It has the dyslexic heart oh, theme yeah. running no, all the way no, through. No, no, no. Um, and this has Beck's uh, Everybody's Gotta Learn Sometime, which is one of his best songs. And he's got amazing songs. And mm-hmm. uh, It was kind of from that Nigel Godrick's uh, Sea Change years. And it is one of my most listened songs from a movie of all time. Mm-hmm. It's it's brilliant and it's perfectly placed here. Yeah. All right. So what? Uh, where are we going to vote on this one? Me? I'm going to do Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind here. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is. Uh, I'm always going to reward something that has that kind of creativity behind it, um, and the right stuff is is every way compelling and i and i say if you have four hours to carve out in your in your day watch that movie it's great Mm. eternal sunshine spotless mind i think it's still perpetually underrated even though i believe this past decade when they when people came out with their top 10 of the decade it was in a lot of those lists yeah i still don't hear people going i love that movie just randomly out of nowhere and so I still think it's underrated, even though I've seen it on so many top 10 of the decade lists and stuff like that. 
but yeah, I'm going to go with that. Nice. I'm going to sing you a song. Mm-hmm. Barrett's vote is meaningless. Barrett's <laughs> vote is meaningless. <laughs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, because it makes me feel so many feels. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it like six times, and the feels are still strong every single time. If you've ever been in love and then broken up and been sad about it, this movie's for you. Mm-hmm. This is Jim Carrey's, uh, I'm going to say it's his best dramatic performance. Mm-hmm. I will agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, the like, look, even the Truman Show, which I adore. I, that's that, that was the only reason I paused, because- right. That's a great but performance. But he's still Jim Carrey. Yeah, he, he is, he, yeah, it's not like something that's like super deep until the very end of that movie. Yeah. And this one, he's like, that's where he's grown as an actor so much. Oh, yeah. He's playing time. a character here yeah. for maybe the first time, yeah. like a, a non-comedic character instead of just his, his stand-up bit. And man, when he says, just give me, just let me keep this one, yeah. you know, this one memory as it's falling away, yeah. man, that'll crush you. And then- when they're sitting on the beach and they know that's it. And she's like, you know, this is the last bit of me. And you feel everything right there. Yeah. Ah, I got chills just yeah. talking about it. Yep. It's awesome. That's uh, that's my vote, too. Unanimity. Unanimity. That's right. All right. So we're going to continue to break this up a little bit. Sorry we can't get through every bracket. But, man, we love these movies so much. We got to give them their proper time. That's it. We got to uh, love them. We got to seduce them. That's right. And this was a particularly trying round. I mean, you have yeah. you have two movies. Every one of these, even though there's some that came out unanimous or everything, they're not exactly easy picks. Yeah, no. And, you're, and it means you have to send something amazing to the fucking bench, man. <laughs> we just eliminated a few good fucking men. Uh, I know, right? Uh, what have we done? <laughs> what have we? I am, I am genuinely curious. To see what final four we end up with. Yeah, me too. I have no clue. It could be. I mean, I I could make a prediction and they could all be wrong yeah. because I still don't know what some of these matchups are going to be. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Uh, all right. Go on to the me? questions. With some A's. Let's A's do some it. Q's. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Got some terrific questions by email, actually, recently. So if you want to email us, go to cinemasendsendcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up on the uh, Reddit page. Our subreddit is reddit.com slash r slash cinemasense. Uh, and Twitter. Anyway, uh, it's all good stuff. Really interesting one here. The question is, who is the true villain of Inside Out? Uh, the listener says, is it joy or sadness? Or could it be some third character that has, has escaped uh, her? Oh, our debate is now between either joy or sadness. What do you guys think? Jerry? Uh, evil corporation her dad works for. Mm. That makes them move all the way to San Francisco in the first place. That's, that's, that's all the conflict is set in motion because of that. There's also, I actually thought way too long about this question because there's really two stories happening here, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got Riley and she's upset that they move, but she can't quite work out how to tell her parents this. Um, but inside her brain, these emotion things are having a carnival journey with a fluffy purple elephant. Yeah. And supposedly the two tie together in some form or fashion i really like this movie uh but i'm saying that because we had so many job changes in my life growing up not job changes so much as just moves my dad would take a job at a different place and we'd move and it fucking sucked and every single time i had to i don't know there's twice as many letters i have to write to my old friends and i gotta go make new friends and i gotta make orgy friends yeah yeah <laughs> not an orgy guy um <clears throat> Anyway, and I, I really connect to that, and I, I think the crux of the whole movie is that Riley has to figure out how to let that sadness out. And when she does, 
and breaks down and is honest with her mom and dad there at the end, that's when things all start to get better. I have to take joy and sadness and all the marbles in the brain out of it mm -hmm. uh, for me because I can't connect to those characters. I connect to Riley and the human characters. Um, so the conflict for me is that she had to move. She had to leave everything behind and she, and she takes her a while to figure out how to, how to vocalize that and start the mourning process. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Because I think the true villain with this, I agree that it's not one of the emotions, is is time. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because you can make an argument, and I see exactly where you're coming from, but you can make an argument, even if she stayed put, it may have delayed things, but she was going to get to this point regardless. Mm. Um, that's part of growing older, yeah. is letting go of just this cheery outlook on life or sad outlook on life, and having that mixture of joy, sadness, anger, all this stuff uh, together. And time is going to, to make her get there. You know, it's also going to be sprinkling in boys and all that stuff too. And so that, it, it comes for everybody. Like that, that's why time is such a, always the, the master villain. It's going to provoke change and conflict in anyone, regardless of circumstance. Mm -hmm. But it is exacerbated by the, the move for sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's easy to. I mean, I I love this question. It because it does make you think about, you know, what's the what's sort of the driving force behind this uh situation or whatever. But it's easy to say joy or sadness might be a villain or a hero in this because they have personified mm -hmm. these things. When I'm watching this movie, it gets it get you know. At first, you're a little annoyed that sadness keeps doing these things that she's being told not to do. Yeah, she's an impulsive little run, right? <laughs> but you realize that it that it's it's not because she's deciding to do it. It's right. because that's the way human emotions are. Something overrides these things. You you want to feel happy all the time. If you could make yourself feel happy all the time, you would. Mm -hmm. um, but it's easy because they've personified these things and they've made them characters to say, fucking sadness, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing touching all the balls, man? What's yeah, going man. on? And uh, But like, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, this is no different really from what you just said, Barrett. And I don't think it's much different from what you said the the actual villain is life mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah it's uh it's uh the stuff that you have to do that you don't want to do yeah and uh and that's why you know that's why they go on this this journey or whatever i do wonder though what happens though if joy and sadness aren't able to get back to their brain she breaks riley breaks yeah she breaks and ends up in like bellevue yeah i guess so she just completely breaks down she has yeah. no ability to be sad or joyful just angry and like hungry or something i don't know well that you could actually take this as just a, a metaphor for this is the journey that everybody's brain goes through mm -hmm. as you go through because you we all did go through that preteen or teen uh phase where everything was replaced by either rage or horniness yeah. <laughs> sometimes both <laughs> i have had a lot of rage boners yes Yep. <laughs> but like, yeah, so like your ability, and that's why this movie is so gorgeous, is personifying those emotions. When you go back to the beginning part of this movie where Joy is the overwhelming favorite, the mm. boss, the one that runs the show, it takes you back to that period in your life as a kid before you had to move or, or whatever, or when, when you settled in, 
where you were just happy. Yeah. Like you were happy all the time. I'm we're miserable people right now. We're we're just always miserable. It's either traffic getting us yeah. or it's, you know, having to wait on something or like frustrations with with the job or whatever. And it's it's hard to even get back to the point where you can just take off the veil of everything and just be like I'm actually happy in this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. that's why people who do meditation and everything are trying to get to a childlike mentality. And that's why this movie is so freaking brilliant, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also feel like when Riley grows up, but maybe just after this movie ends, she's going to have like pay your bills island and like <laughs> go to the job you hate land. <laughs> yeah. And like she's going to replace all the fun lands with yeah. like adult. That's kind of sad when you think about the movie this way, yeah. right? That it's really about saying goodbye to your childhood and accepting the fact that being an adult sucks. Yep. Yep. It sucks. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, now that I'm all perked up, you got another question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what, in your opinions, are some of the best movies and TV shows that are geared or marketed towards kids but transcend that G rating and can be the most impactful to people of any age? Uh, this person gave Pixar, actually, as an example. What do you guys think? I uh, now, now, I guess they put G in quotes because it could just mean any kid's movie. It doesn't yeah. have to be G rated. The first thing that I come up with immediately is The NeverEnding Story. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned, probably mentioned The NeverEnding Story a few times on the podcast. I'm not sure. We've done a lot of stuff on the videos using mm-hmm. it in outtakes and stuff like that. Um, but The NeverEnding Story is fascinating to me today because it is just such a pro imagination movie mm-hmm. yeah um it's uh it's one of those it, it's it's unique and i know that the i think the author of the original book like didn't like how the movie went because it's changed a lot of stuff or whatever i've never read the book but i read it a long time ago oh, i remember yeah? loving it does it uh, end it does mm. well i'm it, Good question. The book ends, but the story does not. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and that's pretty much yeah. That's the point, right? Yeah. Um, but like uh, the thing is, is it it I I I've, even at a young age I and I watched this movie when I was seven years old when it came out. Um, the thing about it is that the whole thing seems like an allegory for your imagination. It's the you know it's the sort of the the nothing is the what happens when you decide to you know not use it and, mm-hmm. and when you know by the end of it when fantasia has been destroyed and everything he still has the power to bring it back and i and and it always it was always something that was crazy to me to think you know he's reading this book and then suddenly there's a point in the in the movie where he realizes he's part of the story as yep. well uh because there's a part where a treyu goes towards the cave and there's the reflection and everything and yeah uh, and uh and is talking about the boy that's looking over him right now and everything he's like what <laughs> and, uh, did that not like break your brain when oh, you saw yeah, it yeah. as a seven-year-old yeah, absolutely because yeah. you're you're standing as bastion and you're just like what the fuck is yeah going? oh god yeah. there's all these realizations this this uh, there's so many i mean i love the setup to this because he's running away from bullies he goes into a bookstore there's like this you know lonely bookstore seller guy in there who's like who's like uh ah, i've got a book for you but eh, probably not or whatever and he's and then bastion's like i've read all these great books moby dick and all that and whatever he's like okay well maybe you're ready for this book and then he goes to like the school like that always captured my imagination yeah. too like an attic or something where he can just read a book all the way through it <laughs> all the way through the night and not worry about it um but that's uh, good parenting right there. that is good parenting <laughs> there was a 
paucity of good parenting in the 80s movies. Oh, but yes. my parents just took a whole decade off. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> they were too busy doing cocaine at Studio 54. Yeah, Seriously. man. They totally were. But yeah, it's it's always been that for me. Like it's just a it's such a pro imagination movie. You don't see that much even in even in some of I mean a lot of our kids movies that come out these days are just like here's a message go with the message like trolls yeah you know, exactly you can't be too party all the time <laughs> you can't be too down all the time try to mix the two yeah. you know or something like that you know it's some <laughs> bullshit like that this movie lets you sort of decide on your own i think you're right that's another movie that people don't talk enough about this never ending story mm-hmm. and it's not real dated no, I well, mean it's pretty dated. It's, well, I mean, the fantastic, el- the fantastical elements, like the big flying dog thing, I guess has its limitations. Yeah, I mean the special effects though, are not. Yeah, the special effects are not great, especially when you look at them today and on an HD television. Uh, and it's got that '80s song. Look around. <laughs> love that song. <laughs> Fucking love that song. Yeah, I do too. The never-ending story. I do too. I always da, sing it. Da, 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 da. Yeah, as soon as it comes on, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to watch these credits, aren't I? I needed to find out who was playing the bat character. You know, that's what it comes down to. Isn't there a giant turtle in that movie? There is. So I thought. Not that it matters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my answer is the Iron Iron Giant. Uh, nice. Such a good movie. Um, and that's just because I was an adult when I saw it, and I cried at the end of it. Um. And that, I feel like, is what the question asker is going for. A movie that is largely aimed at kids, mm-hmm. but still hits adults so hard. And it, I've never really been able to put my finger on or articulate why. I mean, it's just it's fantastic. The voice performances are great. Brad Bird's direction is outstanding. But I'd, I grew up in part of the Cold War, but not like this era of the mm. Cold War. And I, sure, I guess I fantasized about having a pet robot or something, but not that. I was much more concerned about fantasizing about hitting a home run in the baseball game or something Mm -hmm. but there's something about this movie that just takes me back to when i was hogarth's age and captures that anything is possible kind of feeling uh, so my iron, iron giant is my answer speaking of things hitting things mm. i'm gonna go with home alone mm. oh home alone is an eight-year-old's dream yeah you are by yourself you can do whatever you want to you've got some cash you've got access to your parents stuff your brother's stuff your sister's stuff and it's fantastic i love those scenes when he just realizes that he's home alone and he don't give a fuck he's happy (laughs) he's happy and he's like fuck man i'm gonna throw in the filthiest movie that i can find i'm gonna eat ice cream i'm gonna sled off of the the stairs <laughs> out the door and everything he's just that is the time where your imagination can go absolutely bonkers of course by the end of that he's fucking doing laundry and shit mm-hmm. you know, which yeah. is weird that he has that much laundry to do over the course of two days yeah but whatever that's a whole other thing i think it's a every child's fantasy but it would only be that for like a minute yeah like i have this cat who's never been outside never been in the garage and a few weeks ago i opened the garage to go down there to do laundry and he darts into the garage and i'm like motherfucker how am i gonna get and he immediately goes oh what the fuck is this i've never seen this room bolts right back into the house right that's how it would be for kevin like he'd be he'd literally go a minute like this is awesome and then he'd be in tears crying in a fetal position yeah right like when i was his age i was about seven um 
And my brother and I played this game with my dad. If he, he was running errands and leaving us in the car, that one of us would hide in the in the back back. We had like a hatchback or under something. And then the other one would say, well, you know, Jeremy left and he took off or whatever. And so this time I decided I'm going to do it. We're only six blocks from home. So I got out and started running for home. And by the time my dad got home, I was in tears. Like I was, I thought he's out looking for me. He's never going to come back here. Like this is my home, but without my family, I was crushed. I was maybe seven, seven and a half years old. Started as a prank. My point is, we think that's an eight-year-old's fantasy. But in reality, I think they would all melt down pretty quick. Yeah, it's a whole different perspective. And that's why it was really cool because I was about his age when this came out. I was about 10. Yeah, I was about 10 when it came out. Mm -hmm. But uh yeah, I mean, that was the the beauty of it, though, is that it, I guess it was a function of people treating him so awfully before yep. they yeah. left. So yeah. he, that sustained a little bit more. Of course, he had that time where they first tried to break in and he's like, Mom, you know, I don't, don't know why he refuses to call the cops. But my point is, is that with all the slapstick and with all of the, the family drama, with all the fantasy elements and everything in that, it was geared towards like my demographic at the time. But I can watch that shit over and over and over now as as an adult and watch it with my kid and I get just as much enjoyment out of it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think it's a really great movie, really fun. We like to nitpick things. Yes. Um, but there, there's a reason that movie spawned two sequels and was just a, a mammoth hit and almost spawned a career for <laughs> McCulkin. Yeah. McCulkin. Yeah. If you could pick any actor or actress to play a deity... Who would it be? Contrarily, and thank you for using the word contrarily, mm-hmm. if you could pick any actress or actor to be a demonic figure, who would it be? Mm. Other than those that already are demonic figures. Yes, in exactly. Real life. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Christopher Walken's a demon. <laughs> right. I'm convinced. Yeah. He's playing himself <laughs> in the prophecy. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um I went with a, an interesting pick, I think. It, Zhang Zi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She was in Memoirs of a Geisha. Oh, yeah. And she has just this angelic demeanor. And I love her character in Crouching Tiger, Tiger Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. too, uh, because she's precocious, but then, like, fun. It's just, yeah. a, she's the most fun character in that whole movie. And she's got this beautiful look. At this point, she's about 38 years old, Mm -hmm. and she's got a little more, you could say, she's gotten older, obviously, and a little more experience in Mm -hmm. her face, and it just is striking to me that I think she would be a great, like, deity or an angelic figure or something like that. Yeah. So that would be cool. Um, I love my pick for the demonic figure, because I think you could make him up to look like an actual demon. And he's a great-looking guy, but Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's a great one. <laughs> he almost has horns on a daily basis anyway. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's... If you could watch a demon movie with him as the demon, sign me up for that, man, because he's a great actor, and he's cool as shit, and he would probably be a terrific, like, devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Benicio yeah. Del Devil Toro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... All right, so my female deity is Charlize Theron. Oh, um, I don't. I first off, yes. Let's get the the obvious out of the way. She's gorgeous. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, and and uh, and that's one of been one of been my longtime crushes ever since Two Days in the Valley yep. and all that. Yep. I mean. Ever uh, since that thing you do. Yeah, that thing you do where she's got, she runs away with the dentist. Yeah, she's basically that dude's uh, um, girlfriend who mm. left. Um, mm. But um, I, 
I think the thing about Charlize Theron that's great is that I think she's down to earth, which is weird that we're talking about deity and everything. Um, but I think she could, I think she could infuse that with the power that it needs and everything. Yeah. And and she's a good actor. She's got a great sense of humor that I've seen. Um, so that would, that, I think she would be a perfect deity. She's regal. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't say that just because she played the Snow Queen or whatever. Right, was, right, right. But like she's got this demeanor, this stature. She's tall as shit, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, she looks tall. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I could totally see that. Um, I, I did female and male, so I guess I'll go through all Bring of them. Bring it, baby. Max von Sydow would be my uh, deity as far as the man is concerned. Nice. And the thing is, Max von Sydow, I mean, the guy has had a career. Now, The Seventh Seal came out 60 years ago. Jesus. Wow. And um, he... That's a that's a movie that sort of sets you on that sort of path with him, and of course he played the uh, crow in Game of Thrones in the past season. Um, but he's got that voice that's so engaging and yeah. everything, and I think he could very well believably play a deity, no yeah, problem. That's a good pick. Um, as my demon, here's a funny thing: I picked an actress who does mostly sweet-natured roles, and that's Rosario Dawson. Huh. I ah. think she could be a great demon, though, because she's got her face is just such that I think she could really just pull it off. And we saw a little bit of that in Sin City. Mm-hmm. But most of the time she's playing really sweet, like out of their league girlfriend types yeah. or whatever, like in every movie you're like, <laughs> I think Amy Schumer has this thing where it's like, it's like, uh, in the zookeeper where Kevin James has to decide, like is turning down Rosario Dawson because <laughs> <laughs> there was somebody else that he wants or whatever, <laughs> you know, like Rosario Dawson is throwing one of those beautiful women in the world is throwing herself at you. And you want somebody else like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, but uh, I think she would be great. Um, and then uh, the male demon, Kevin Spacey. Oh, <laughs> That's great. Spacey. Or the devil himself. He yeah. could play the devil. Yeah, he really could. <laughs> He'd make a better devil than Pacino did in that movie with Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> the devil's advocate. The devil's advocate, yes. Uh, I don't know if anybody can top Pacino in the devil's I don't know, advocate. But he would be more of like the prankster demon, I yeah. think, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. What, what's weird about Max von Sydow is that it sprang into my mind. He was in Needful Things. You remember yeah, that Stephen King yeah, yeah. Uh, adaptation? And he was the shopkeeper in mm-hmm. that. And that's why I thought you were going with a demon for him. Oh, yeah. As I was looking that up, you guys probably already knew that. He was the voice of Vigo in Ghostbusters 2. Oh, really? I did did not not know that. that. (laughs) I I, I don't pay enough attention to Ghostbusters 2. That's the painting, right? (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to throw that out there. That's nice. um, (laughs) Well, I'm cheating. Uh, I think I threw Chris off because when I answered the question, I picked a male and female. Um, So I'm cheating and I'm going Vigo Mortensen as my deity. Mm -hmm. Basically played Jesus in a famous trilogy. But if you look at that scene where Aragorn tells the hobbits, you know, you bow to no man, mm-hmm. the face he has, yeah. the command, respect, all of that, that is what I see uh, making him a great deity yeah. in the movie is that I feel like he can have that power, that danger and that kindness all at once. Mm-hmm. For my female deity, I'm going back to Margot Martindale, mm-hmm. <laughs> who I, I can't think off the top of my head. What was that movie I saw her in where she played a good person? Because uh, most recently she played Justified, the villain, yeah. and she's fantastic. But she can also be very endearing and mothering and supportive 
Uh, and I think she could pull off a nice god. It's huh. it's funny, you know. You're this is the second time that you brought up Margot Martindale. It, it's like BoJack Horseman. I don't know if you've seen BoJack Horseman, but BoJack Horseman keeps finding a way to put Margot Martindale and everything. Her name or the <laughs> her, use her, her voice? actual actress and the and her voice. That's fucking awesome. So like, there's a lot of parts in there where they're like Margot Martindale, and she's like always in some sort of trouble or like <laughs> criminal thing or whatever, and like, uh, and it's just funny because now I'm suddenly thinking about BoJack Horseman. When that's you do. crazy, yeah. Uh, for my demon, de- demony devils, I'm going. I'm also kind of cheating here because I'm going Vera Farmiga. And she's ah. kind mm. of playing something demonic on that Psycho show that's like a prequel because yeah, she's yeah, yeah. playing his mom or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of, again, what gives me the clue that she could pull off something sinister. Mm. She usually plays good people, good ki- mm-hmm. good guys. Yeah. I'd like to see her go the other side of the aisle. And then nobody's going to be surprised to hear me say Ben Foster's going to play my devil and uh-huh. or my yeah, demon. Yeah, that'd be great. Solely from 310 to Yuma, even though he's been... Or maybe, <laughs> what's that Anton Yelchin one we always talk about? Alpha Dog. Yeah, yeah Alpha Dog too. He's fucking frightening in that <laughs> and movie. And don't forget Warcraft. <laughs> yes. Who could forget Warcraft? Uh, nobody could. Um, <laughs> not Robin Thicke. Nope, nope, definitely not Robin Thicke. By the way, in BoJack Horseman, Margot Martindale plays character actress Margot Martindale. That's nice. her character. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> should watch the show. It's great, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's a really funny show. I remember when I first started watching bojack horseman i was like eh, i don't know it seems like it's maybe trying a little bit too hard to be this and that or whatever by about the fifth episode i was like i'm hooked into this nice. and like the next couple of seasons were great i just and will arnett is just he's just by the way did you uh, hear about uh they set a release date for the new mystery science theater episodes on yeah Netflix. really like next April month right 10th yeah oh that's gonna be awesome yeah baby i'm gonna be binging that shit yeah that's kind of yeah. like pat oswald yeah you add pat right? oswald to the original group <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> all right well, i already I have a boner oh yeah absolutely <laughs> okay if you could choose any main music theme from a movie to announce your arrival at places what would it be i love this question me too i have I went through about 15 different answers, <laughs> and I could have picked any of them. Uh, but I'm actually going to steal your suggestion, because you said something in your when you sent these questions to us about um, Out of Sight. Yep. And uh, that movie opens with basically the lick from It's Your Thing, right? Yeah. It goes, a boom, boom, boom. And that would be good. Yeah. But I'm going to choose from the same movie the score from the transition from Miami to Detroit. Yep. And when we go to Detroit, now it's cold and snowy. It's a yeah. and I think I could walk in like a fucking stud to any location, church, pharmacy. I don't care. I, if that music was playing, I would be I'm walking in like Kramer wearing the coat of many colors. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. I wish I had a badass theme. I, I don't think I could pull it off. Like, I, maybe like at the beginning, but then it would get old. Like, people would see it coming and be like, "No, no, man, mm-hmm. no." I chose the uh, the quirky music from American Beauty. Oh, it was uh, James Newton Howard that did this, and eventually went on to score Six Feet Under, another Alan Ball thing. That just I think it's so percussive and quirky and interesting that like 
you could hear me coming and be like, oh, that's weird. A lot nice. of mallet instruments in that school. Yeah. Yeah, I think that guy likes him some xylophone and glockenspiel. Yeah. Right? Um, could could you could you just for me? I'm sorry, I was distracted. What did you say was the the music again? The no 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 no. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you were asking. What no? What's the what's the movie? American again? Beauty. Beauty. American Beauty. That's Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. Did I say James Newton? Howard? You did. You did. That's why I was confused because I was sitting there going, "What well, you did six? You said six feet under and all that." And I was like, "Didn't he say James Newton Howard? It's Thomas Newton." That's what I meant. Thomas Newman. It's Thomas Newton. Yeah, Thomas Newman. New- Newman. 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 I said Newton, and then I said Newman. It's Thomas Newman. Yeah. Newman. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's why I was confused. I was like, "Sorry about that." I'm, I'm sorry. I when I heard James Newton Howard, I was like, "That doesn't sound like." That you know, I, actually, just after it came out of my lips, I was like, oh, man, no, "Yeah, that's the wrong thing." Yeah, hopefully they'll correct. That's why me. I said uh, no. I mean, I knew the the correct one, but it, when I said Woody Allen movie, I thought I said Woody Allen album. Anyway, yeah, you said Allen, yours? and you thought album exactly. Uh, Okay, we're going to bring this full circle back to a Kenneth Branagh movie here. All right. Nice. And, uh, and uh, I believe possibly even talked about this song in the first episode uh, because it's on that Hamlet trailer. Ah. Um, uh, but it's in Henry V that this music, uh, and it's, um, it's from Patrick Doyle, who did, who did something, I believe, that's on the soundtrack that's called St. Crispin's Day. And then they also have a like a slash once more into the breach mm-hmm. or whatever. But I believe it's St. Crispin's Day because that's the one that's got that, you know, and then it's got that, you know, it's it's a beautiful piece of music. And I would I would go and look that up on like YouTube or something. Find the Patrick Doyle St. Crispin Day, mm. whatever, or watch the Hamlet trailer that <laughs> Kenneth Branagh did. Um, now that's a super dramatic song that I would be walking into, Indeed. and uh, everything. I would probably play that off a little bit more ironically because I'm not that serious. Especially everybody dude. would be expecting like an Independence Day speech right. after that kind of music. Yeah, exactly. And come in and just like, but it's one of those that you feel good coming into and everything, and it would have to be at that crescendo that's in that song anyway crescendo yeah Mm -hmm. do we have any more yeah man what movie characters do you feel are the best examples of integrity and moral fiber Mm. uh please include more than one gender now that's interesting i don't think i did that i I didn't either um well we don't need to do that uh to do another gender and everything i i mean i I think like uh, on uh, I think almost every female character that they try to put in a movie has the moral yeah. you know, high ground most <laughs> of the time and everything. Uh, but, uh, but I, you know what I'm picking, I'm picking somewhat of a surprise here because it's fast Eddie Felson in the color of money. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, because yeah, obviously he's a hustler. He's, yeah. uh, he's, uh, he's trying to, uh, pretend Well, I mean, he's trying to get Tom Cruise in this one to pretend to be, uh, not so good at pool or whatever and uh, make him into what he was in the in in the hustler but uh there's some scenes in there that just prove within this world his integrity especially at the end of the movie when he finds out that the the cruise character has thrown the match against him and has given him a whole bunch of money from the betting he did on it and so he's in the championship at the end of this, you know, this big tournament and everything. Mm. And he ends up just like just 
taking his pool cue apart, putting it back in the case, and just giving the envelope back to 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 Cruz and saying, you know, this is this is not earned. Basically, mm. he want if he's gonna if he's going to get um if he's going to get money, he's going to get it honestly in this world. He's going to get it like with a fair game. It's mm. not. What's a- funny is they did ex- they did exactly what he had been teaching them to do. That's why I love this movie so much, is he's basically teaching them to hustle. Mm-hmm. And Cruz's girlfriend gets it way before Cruz does, but mm-hmm. that ending shows, hey, the student heard the teacher, I got what you were, but it still breaks his heart. Mm-hmm. Still, he he didn't win fair and square, and yeah. that kills him. Right. That's a, such a good pick. And and there's like other moments in there. I I, I believe there's a point where... Um, where you know his girlfriend uh and i I get three people's names confused on it's mary elizabeth mastrantonio um there's a there's a scene where she opens the door for fast eddie and she's like wearing almost nothing yeah her shirt's like hanging out like you know barely covering and she's in panties and everything and and he and she's basically saying if you want to you can just seduce me right now and he gets mad and he gets pissed off and he could take i mean this mary elizabeth master antonio yeah. man yeah. i don't know if i'd have that same kind of <laughs> um uh restraint that he does but there's a point where he says something like uh you know put that thing to good use or whatever and she's like what thing and because she's just her ass is just hanging like just like pointed towards him like <laughs> and he's like she's like what thing and he's, they just no more there's no more discussion after that but uh but yeah i i that's an interest i, I felt like it was an interesting uh sort of character here because in that world he's not you wouldn't really call this guy moral and and, and have integrity or anything but within this world Yes, totally moral. Good call. Mm-hmm. Good call. Um, I, I went back and forth on a few, but I think I'm. We've talked so much, gone baby, gone. I think I'll just stick with Casey Affleck here. Uh, and we called the movie morally ambiguous earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it's. God, I'm going to play semantics. It's not ethically ambiguous. Mm-hmm. It may be morally ambiguous, and maybe what I'm doing is choosing an ethical character as opposed to a high moral fiber character because. Mm-hmm. He knows every bit how terrible a mother Helene is. He knows the kind of scenario this girl's going back to, to the point where he's checking up on her a couple days later because he knows she might burn down the house or something. Yeah. But he still does what he believes is the right thing. Yeah. Right? That bot- You cannot steal people's kids. Even if you will provide a better home, that's wronger than this wrong. Uh, and, and I feel that's where his decision comes from. And there's no leniency there. I don't think he hesitates. I think when his girlfriend says, I'll hate you if you do this, he's like, well, shit, lost my girlfriend. Like, I think he's just committed. Um, so I pick him. Yeah. You know, that's a great distinction. When does it become morally righteous to give a kid a better life though? It's interesting. The reason well, I he asked even this. says this to Morgan Freeman, you, you should have gone to child services outside of that. You know, this is not your call to make. All right. But the laws, if the laws are set up to be the antithesis of the greater good for this child, then isn't it worth breaking them? Well, not at the point they do. That's the central question, Somebody, obviously. Of well, the, the uncle or the aunt should have gone to child services and reported the mother and had her investigated, they could have probably even gotten custody because they're blood relatives. That girl might not have had to go into, you know, 
an orphanage or something. Yeah. Um, I but, think it doesn't it set it up to where that is not necessarily the the resolution that would be done though that uh, that she maybe would they would have put her in an orphanage or in a yeah. foster home. That's still better than being with Helene, mm. and it's still more ethical and moral than what Morgan Freeman does, which is manufacture a goddamn kidnapping. Yeah. And murder yeah, to I mean, steal a child. That's yeah. the other like level of this that we sort of forget about in Gone Baby Gone yeah. is that there's a, a level of criminality that happens beyond just kidnapping the kid. And, no, definitely. Um, yeah. So, so, but, but then when you're just left with the bare choice, that's where it's you know super tough. But. Yeah, because I could make an argument that Michelle Monaghan's character is the the morally righteous one right well too. that's why i tried to swerve it into ethics for a yeah, second yeah. there because i i think there is a distinction and i think you can make a case that she's has the moral high ground well not even a uh, high ground both of them are great examples of this yeah because they're trying to do what is what they think is best and in they this have situation. a real love they have a real connection oh, yeah, yeah. and they're they both sever it over basically principles yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you can't really fault either one of them. I really can't talk about this movie at any time. I really can't. <laughs> All right. So my uh, pick is actually, um, it, it went between William Wallace in Braveheart, who's oh. the most morally righteous person character in a movie that you can get. I, I, I kind of pumped the brakes on that because the movie's so over the top about how righteous this dude is so much so that he spits out the pain killing you know thing at the end when it's like is that really going to make much of a difference like you could probably just swallow that and you'd be fine mm -hmm. not to mention by the way that he kisses her and you know he's talking and this should be falling out of his mouth anyway but uh i think that's too over the top so i'm gonna go back to marge gunderson yeah. from fargo because she is so politely dogged about what she does and she wants to get to the bottom of this this is somebody that's been murdered and then she you know the 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 evidence piles up and this whole thing starts unraveling and she is gonna see it through even though she's fucking pregnant she's walking around in like sub-zero temperatures mm -hmm. and you know all her concern is prowler needs a jump yeah. you know and uh, she's gonna go about her routine and do her job and that is a great example of moral fiber i think is to to do something until the till it's done mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah just today i've realized that, that we could have a nice interesting conversation about the parallels between her and her deputy and tommy lee jones and his deputy in no country for old men oh yeah mm -hmm. it's a very similar dynamic yeah. at work and they're both both of the lead detectives are moral upstanding people anyway i just i just realized that and they're both cohen movies so yeah, yeah. Anyway, interesting. Good answer. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this Sincast. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts. Yeah, go ahead and play along with us. Play with us. Go ahead and play, <laughs> play with, with us. us Just Danny. fondle the sack a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I was going. That's no. where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> Pull up the bracket, print it, do whatever you got to do, and play along with us. Make your picks. Send us your picks. I'm good with it. Go And if uh, you get on the SoundCloud comments, you disagree with our picks, let us know about it. Very likely, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Very likely. It's, uh, it, it, is, it is way more difficult than I ever thought going through <laughs> it all It really this is. Because yeah. I can't decide sometimes, like, after we've talked about it. I know. <laughs> because you talk yourself into it. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, man, that's really amazing. Yeah. And, and really, honestly, like, if we ran this bracket several times, we'd probably go different way. Yeah. A lot of times. But uh, anyway, that's going to do it for today. Chris Agnes and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 
Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. You saw her boobs. I did. Oh, that's last week's episode. <laughs> Shit. Take take that part out. Well, I mean, wait. Did we we talked about this. We saw our boobs thing this this episode. Yeah, but it's going, going on into last the... week's. Oh, last week's. Yeah, oh, we're shit. doing a lot of time shifting. <laughs> yeah, um, got some good meat. Yeah, man. They did a a big like opening groundbreaking thing today. Oh, I like when break when ground breaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when the levee breaks. Yeah, I'm just a big fan of breaking in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Twisting and turning, you're feeling the burning. You're breaking the girl. You know what I didn't. <laughs> you know what I didn't realize. I, I got Sing Street, and it's sitting on my desk, ready for me to watch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize this is the same guy that made that movie with Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley that I mentioned like 25 episodes ago, where Mar- um, Ruffalo's character can visualize all the orchestration yeah, yeah. going around when she's just strumming and singing. Oh, same yeah. director, really. And I kind of enjoyed be, that movie. So begin again. Begin again, yeah. Yeah. And so he's obviously got, like, Damien Giselle, like, some kind of music connection. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I'm, I'm very excited to watch it. I really want to watch it again, actually. I've got it. You want to borrow it? <laughs> what I do not Netflix. have is Kevin in the Woods. <laughs> you cannot borrow that. I spent another hour today looking for that thing just for peace of mind, and I can't find it. Uh, Girl on the Train was trending this morning. It was on the trending page. Interesting. Really? That's uh, something it was like I did not expect at all. Maybe was Justin number... was thorough enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was number 40. Number one was Bruno Mars's new video. Oh, that bastard gets us every time. <laughs> we can no no matter how hard we try, we cannot top Bruno Mars in the trending. We tried everything. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <laughs> let's make let's Jeremy watch Chicago again. Yeah, I'll just sign that one to the writers. He had it coming. He had it coming. <laughs> Thank you. I I I I. I think I enjoyed watching the Oscars more than I did the Grammys this year. I sure did. Grammys can suck my balls. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm so over it. Even ju- It's just basically a performance piece at this point. Well, then the awards don't mean jack shit anymore. No. It used to actually mean something to say gra- six-time Grammy winning mm-hmm. whatever, but now you could, you could go pluck any artist off the top 40 charts and they probably got a grammy at least for something because yeah they have there's a category for everything right and yeah the the actual award show now is like six awards like everybody's gotten their awards by the time the show starts yeah that might have been the funniest thing though about the james corden thing was him talking about drake and rihanna and he's like we should get those two together and he's like oh wait it didn't work out. <laughs> you saying it has happened? It just didn't work out. <laughs> um, I, I'm watching it at Green Hills. Sweet. Cause you're snooty. Yeah. Well, you think your shit don't stink? Green Hills. Um, I would love to go there all the time. Yep. Except for the fact that it is located in Green Hills. It's yes. Awful. Yes. Uh, but I rarely ever go there. Because of that, but at ten ten o'clock, uh, it's all the, all, right all the bullshits has you know gone through at that point. All the bullshit has bullshitted. Yes.